I apologize for us singing that song. I did not realize. I see who it was written by, and it was written by um, um, John Newton. And he also, I don't know if you know John Newton. John Newton was a, he owned, he, he, he ran a, um, a slave ship. He sold slaves and things. So we're not supposed to, anybody that has that kind of thing in their past, we need to cancel them. So um, he also wrote Amazing Grace, so we need to get rid of that from our hymnals too. Um, I think one of the things that we need to do as the church is to explain to people about grace, explain to people about mercy, explain to people about change. And um, we live in a culture that increasingly um, sees itself as legalistically righteous, which is so weird. And I'm not talking about Christians too, but particularly you know, the, the council cultures we talk about, it just strikes me as, as you know, the, the most beloved song probably of all time that's sung at even non-believers' funerals and things, Amazing Grace. Was, he sang that and wrote that because of the deep shame he realized when the light of God's spirit shined on him and he recognized how horrific his acts were. And we sing that song so we'll keep singing it i'm just kidding i think that we need to be able to extend grace to people for if god were to deal with us as our sin deserves and who could stand so let's turn to hebrews chapter 13 and we're going to focus particularly today on verses 7 and 9 7 through 9 but let us um pray before we go to the word of our Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it comes to us with our error. We thank you that um, you've put us in a church um, that believes in the inerrant inspired word of God, that this is the only rule for faith and practice, that we're to preach through it, that we're to give ear to it, we're to read through it ourselves, pray it, we're to, to have it hidden in our hearts. So Lord, we pray that now as we um, dig into your word, as we hear what you have to say to us from it and through it, that um, you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that you would bless the hearing of your word, and that we would be transformed and even many would be saved. And we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. So to keep this in our context, of course, it's a persecuted church. Uh, they came out of Judaism. The synagogues had put them out. The uh, the the culture there in Rome, the government was increasingly antagonistic. They, we know historically they were about to face fierce opposition and persecution from Nero. And so the book of Hebrews was an, originally written to them to, to, um, to, to get them focused on what they should be focused on, to get them um, anchored and centered on the word of God and on Christ and his church. But it's also written to us to do the same thing. Because trials happen to us, persecutions happen to us, and just our own flesh is an enemy. The world can be an enemy, and Satan and the demons are enemies. The spiritual forces attack us. So this was written for us as well. So um, let's keep these things in mind. I'm going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 1. So hear the word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. 
Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the most earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The word of the Lord. And we'll go through the different parts of this um, in the few coming weeks as well. But you know, t- today we are going to ordain uh, Rick Clayton to the Office of Ruling Elder in the PCA in Second Street Presbyterian Church in particular. And so I thought that we're reading the, the Book of Church Order, BCO, for those of you who've been here a while. And um, what it says is, that's the book that tells us how we're supposed to do stuff like this, how the, how the government of the church works. And um, it says, after preaching a sermon, then you ordain the person. I was like, okay, I guess I didn't realize. So you can preach a short sermon and then ordain and do the regular sermon, or you just do it after this. So I was like, well, I'll do it after this. And so what do you preach on? And I thought, well, I need to just keep preaching through Hebrews. So let's just do that. What's next? And I look, and it's like, well, look at there. So in the providence of God, we're having an ordination, and we are uh, having a sermon about your leaders. So these are, these are amazingly good things that the Lord does from time to time. So no matter what it would have been, it would have been applicable. But this particularly so today. So it begins here in verse Seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay, that's the first verse. So you had to say, well, what does remember mean? Does it mean to remember your your leaders? And again, we talk about in the Lord's Supper, remember um, this do in remembrance of me. So, and then we don't think, oh, Forgot about Jesus, I'm glad you reminded me. And it's not, forgot about my leaders, I'm glad you reminded me. But sometimes we live like that. And so we're supposed to do this remembrance. And so 
this word here, um, what it's talking about, this is the way we would use it too. It's like to revere your leaders is a part of just to remember them means to, to, to revere, to hold them in a, in a high honor. Um, to submit to them is also a part of that word. Um, to meditate about them, to think deeply about their way of life, to, to think this is what they're being told to do. Now, as a leader, if we had other leaders up here, if they were to say that you're supposed to do this, um, then they'd be saying, right. But only if they can say somebody else said for you to do this. If you're in the military, you have authority over people under you, but if you have somebody in authority over you, um, if, if you don't um, require the necessary honor and obedience to those under you, then you're disobeying the one over you. And so what you have to do as leaders in the church is recognize you, we are under shepherds. And so um, whatever the Bible says that we're all to do, and we all have leaders and we're um, accountable one to another as well. But we're to revere, submit to, meditate upon their lives and their teaching. And so for leaders, we have to look at this and say, this is a challenge to live lives worthy of remembrance and imitation. And that's a high calling. And you also know that if you're a father, you're a mother, your husband, a wife, uh, an older person, a younger person, we all are to live lives worthy of imitation and pointing to the one that we're following, that we're trusting in, and these things. But in this particular case, the end of this letter, he is telling these members of this church to remember your leaders. And, and, and why? What particularly about them is he, is he saying? And he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Those who spoke to you the word of God. They were teaching you the Bible. And that's what leaders are to do. Speak the word of God to the people. That's what you do. Not our own ideas. Not your own ideas. Your leaders spoke the word of God. They didn't speak their own ideas. They didn't come up with their own philosophies. They didn't go outside the Bible to some secular um, philosophical system and say, let me bring this into the church and let me, let me teach you this thing. It was the word of God. And so I'd say to leaders, if you want to be worthy of remembrance, then speak the word of God to the people. And if we're going to speak the word of God to the people, you have to know the word of God. You can't speak the word of God to people. I mean, you could pick it up and read it, but even knowing, you know, where to go in the Bible for certain things. I mean, there's some things you can read completely out of context. It's like, that doesn't apply to my situation whatsoever. You know, and, but there's some that's, you know, the apt word spoken in due season. You know, those things and it's like so as you become more and more acquainted with the Bible and even these days you don't even necessarily have to know exactly where it is you can you can hey google it or search it or something or use a concordance or something you find it and um, are, but are able to speak the word of God to the people and in Acts 6-4, we see the apostles are appointed deacons because there was a lot of stuff that had come up and the apostles were being distracted from their primary mission to solving interpersonal problems and stuff. And you would think, well, now, wait a second, that's interpersonal problems, that's a big deal, that's a spiritual issue. And it's like, it surely is a spiritual issue. 
And so the idea that deacons were, they were appointed. These were, um, to deacon was to serve. It was to be people who like wait, servants like people who wait on your table and things like that. That's what deacons are. They're like waiters. Okay, so, but the way we treat our waiters in restaurants says a whole lot about our faith and a whole lot about us. And so, um, you know, young people, uh, one of the best things to do is, is on one of, if you go out with a, a person that you're thinking of is maybe dating somebody is watch how they treat their waiters, their wait staff. So that's um, an important thing. Also how they treat their parents. That's pretty important too. That's a very telling thing. But they appointed these deacons so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, that's what Acts 6.4 says. They appointed these deacons so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, the word ministry there is actually, it's a Latin word that translates the Greek word. Uh, it's the deaconing of the word is actually what it says in Greek. It is devoted themselves so we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the deaconing of the word so you know the serving of you know well the word doesn't need us to wait on it no it's serving the word to people and but wouldn't that help with interpersonal problems yes 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 that's why you get deacons who are full of the spirit and that know the word of god as well but their role particularly is that of service and so that the elders now who are the under shepherds of Christ, the elders are able to serve the word of God to the people who are able to administer these things to the people. So that is why they're to be remembered because they're speaking the word of God. So that's the important thing, the word of God. Speaking the word of God is the important thing. And then secondly, after remembering them and, and why is you're supposed to also consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider, and it means think carefully on, dwell upon it for a bit, consider the outcome of their way of life. That's kind of a, you know, what does that mean? So the word outcome is interesting. It, it literally is ekbasis. It means to go up out of. The word means a going up out of. So consider the going up out of their way of life. It's like, okay. So some people think what that means is consider the way they died. Consider the way they went out of this life. Um, the King James, if you're reading that, it says consider their conversation. Interesting fact. I had no idea of this. If you look up on uh, etymology of the word conversation, it actually means way of life. <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't. It means talking to one another. It's like, no, that came about later. We started using the word in that way. But uh, your conversation was the way you lived your life. And so what this says is consider the out the going up out of their way of life. So, and it's true, we should think of our leaders who have gone before us, and there's that, what's that movie with Tom Hanks, not Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, different person, um, with the samurais, what was that? The Last Samurai, he shouts with gusto, that's good. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, and there's a line in it. It's just, at the end, the, the main, I can't remember the name, the main samurais died, and the, the emperor asked, Tom Cruise um, character. He says, um, tell me how he died. He says, no, I will tell you how he lived. You know, because that's leading his whole way of life was what you need to know about. And so we should have leaders like that. Hopefully we've had leaders that were able to say that God would be able to say in his providence, in, in his word, to be able to say, consider your leaders who went before you and how they died. 
you know, not physically how they died, but how they lived their lives up to the point of dying. So as leaders, we have to think, you know, when you get older, when you become elderly and infirmed and you're hurting and you're aggravated and all your friends are dying and life is just getting harder and harder and harder, what we're supposed to do during that time is lean more and dig more into the grace of God because we need it more and more and more as we get older. And so if you know older people, who have done this, and everybody does it imperfectly, but to have done it, it's just an encouragement to see older people who, when you go to see them and you're like, you feel sorry for them, and you're like, they're like, all they really want to do is find out about you. They just want to encourage you. They want to pray for you. You know, it's all these things. It's really a, a very good thing to, to, to see. So be that person if we be so... Um, great, you know, if we make it to our 80s, 90s, 100s, or whatever it is, that we would dig firmly into grace as we continue to, to go forward. But I think it can also mean, it's not just how they went out of this life, but how their faith came up through their life, how they lived, the way they lived bubbled up through them. It's like the Spirit of God welling up like a, like a fountain coming out of them, as the Bible says, that they should be... Uh, exuding the Holy Spirit. And I had a, a, a Korean teacher in college and loved kimchi. If you don't know what kimchi is, you're missing out. But those hanging around you aren't missing out because it's got a lot of uh, garlic in it. It comes out of your pores and you can smell it. And it just smells like kimchi. And he smelled like kimchi. And I was like, and I loved kimchi. But it's like, that's what the Holy Spirit should do in an odd way. We should have the aroma of Christ. We should be so filled with Christ and his word and his life and his ministry that our, it just is, it outpours our lives. And that people should be able to consider that way of life, that outpouring of God that's in it. In other words, that um, he's saying their faith was not just talk, it was a walk. It was, it was what they did. Your faith is not just about a content of information. It is about a transformation of a life based on the Holy Spirit entering into relationship with you, taking you to Jesus, through Jesus to the Father, God of all that is, that is holy, 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 and treating you as a child. And you walking in that spirit. And then it says, thirdly, as you consider the outcome of their way of life, that you imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Which is interesting, too, because as I was thinking about this, I actually thought, I had the verse, but I was thinking, imitate their way of life. Which is not wrong, but that's not what it says. It says, imitate their faith. So I'm like, Alright, that's interesting. Why do you say that? Why I'd say imitate their faith, why not say imitate their way of life? Because we're supposed to consider that, their way of life, the outworking, the out, you know, the way they died, the way they lived, we're to consider that. But what you're gonna imitate is their faith. And that's what we should be seeing working itself out. So um First Corinthians chapter twelve. It's not far after the, the Gospels, and then Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read the beginning of verse 12. So remember, we're talking about imitate their faith. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one 
And this is talking about the body of Christ, uh, the, the church. This is talking about us. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. This is unity. Okay, This is where unity comes from. One spirit baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave-free, everybody, red, yellow, black, and white, everybody, every nationality, Jews and Greeks, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member or one body part, but many. If the foot, now this is the funny thing, this is what I always want to teach kids this, because if you just picture it, and this is, is kind of neat. So look at your foot. Children, look at your foot. You probably have two. Pick one. So what if your foot, I'm sorry, I lost my place, thinking about feet. Da, 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 da. If your foot should say, hey, you know what, I'm not a hand, so I don't even belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. So your foot can say, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. It's like, you're still a part of my body. And imagine your foot. It's like, what, what do you do to your feet? You walk on them, you tramp on them. You, maybe sometimes you get them rubbed. I don't know. You know, it's like, but your hands, and your hands get to do this, your hands get to clap, your hands get to turn things. You know, you have opposable thumbs. You can't play. Well, I've seen people do amazing things with their feet when they don't have hands, but it's not better. It's just amazing. So your, your feet can easily say, you know, I'm not like that. I'm no good. And, but I tell you what, you go without your feet for a while. You, 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 you can walk on your hands, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not best and then it says well what if your ear should say man I'm not an eye I don't belong to the body it's like you know but what if you couldn't hear anything man you know but look what the eyes does so they all sudden get an ear that's jealous of the eye and so well I'm no good it's like no you have a role to play you have a role to play in verse 17 if the whole body were an eye well, that's kind of weird thinking what if you were just an eye Then you wouldn't be able to hear anything. And if, and if the whole body were an ear, you wouldn't be able to smell anything. All right, now. <laughs> this verse has extra meaning to us today. So how many of you have recently lost your smell? Yeah, you can't smell anything. Billy's over there like, tell you what, you don't appreciate it until it's gone. <laughs> you know, but, you know, so the, the whole body, if all you were were an ear, then where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged all your body parts in the body, each one of them as he chose. Okay, so he's got a purpose for your ear. He's got a purpose for your smeller. He's got a purpose for your eye, for your hands, for your feet. There's a purpose for all these things. And as they look at each other and they start fighting over, well, I'm not that and I'm not this, it's like God arranged them. And so what he's teaching is God has also arranged you personally into this body of the church for your particular purposes for your gifting this is the diversity that the church is to go after you can have a church of every single culture in the world and it still be possible that every single one of those people have the same spiritual gift they could all be eyes 
doesn't matter what color they are, doesn't matter what country they come from, doesn't matter how they grew up, doesn't matter what they've been through, how their mama was, how their daddy was, how much money they had, how much nothing, their gifting is from the Lord. And so what God does is he puts people in the church and his people, every color, every nation, every, every you know, all that, those people are to all be in the church, but it's their giftings that's different. So as you imitate someone's faith, the way you imitate, you know, Ryan's faith is going to be different than the way you, you know, you're not imitating the way he exercises his faith. See, I used the word exercise, see what I did there? And, <laughs> you know, same thing with any one of us. The way we exercise our faith is different for you because you have different giftings. But you should be exercising those giftings, your role in the church, through that same faith. Stephen, in the Bible, was the first Christian martyr. So he was a deacon, and he was preaching the gospel, and they decided because of that they were going to kill him with rocks and stones, so they stoned him to death. And the last thing that came out of his mouth was, Lord, as he's looking up, he says he sees Jesus sitting, standing at the right hand of God the Father. I mean, Jesus is like, okay now, this is a big deal. The death of the saints is precious to him. And he looks up and he says, don't hold this sin against them. What? How do you do that? I'm like, bang, that guy, get him. <laughs> bang, that guy. All these, wipe them out. Wipe them out. He didn't. He imitated the faith of Jesus Christ. And what he did not do was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He kind of said it. He didn't say, I am dying for their sins. I am dying because I don't deserve it, and therefore I'm dying in their place. He didn't say that because that wasn't his role. But Jesus' faith, his trust in God, exhibited itself in such a way that he forgave his enemies even while they were killing him. And Stephen somehow was given, as Jesus stood up, Holy Spirit you know was being lavished upon Stephen at that very moment. Those people who have been tortured for the faith and have gone through it have said, you don't know, uh, if not for the grace of God, you can never withstand it. And Stephen at the last minute would be able to say, Lord, forgive the, them. Don't hold this sin against them. And that's imitating the faith of Christ. So we want to imitate people's faith while not necessarily imitating the things that they do. Joyce teaches piano. She does a lot of what she does faithfully out of her faith. It doesn't mean, wow, Joyce had a lot of faith, therefore I must be a piano teacher. But I can promise you a lot of people who take lessons from her may desire to go on to be piano teachers because that's maybe their gifting too. And the same thing with us. It doesn't mean if you're a strong Christian and you throw yourself into the Word of God and suddenly you feel more and more and more and more in depth of the Scripture and you look at me and you're like, okay, I'm going to be a pastor. Or I'm going to be an elder. Or I'm going to be a deacon. You may not be gifted for those things, but you're gifted for other things. But you follow a person who is following their faith, doing what they do out of faith and figuring out that's where you find your gifting. You will find your gifts through your service. And so, but just because your gift isn't the same as somebody else's doesn't make you less important. It may make you, <laughs> your absence. And that's what I hate about people leaving the church. Well, I don't care what the reason is. Good reason, bad reason, whatever. It's like, part of us is gone. That's what hurts. There's a part of you gone. They, they served a purpose. And then there's many of us who aren't living that out like we ought to. And that's hurting the church.
So we need to, as well, make sure we're trying to, to do these things as, as much as we're, we're able. And you read the rest of this through verse 26, but just to be moving forward, um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or it can be translated, follow me as I follow Christ. But be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So if you're going to follow Paul, Paul's like, only follow me as much as I'm imitating Christ. So we need to be imitating Christ in that same way, following his faith as our giftings lead, taking up our cross, which may be different than somebody else's cross, unjust suffering, um, willingness to um, give grace to people who don't deserve it, absorbing the blows of assaults that have been made upon us in different ways. But imitating the faith of faithful leaders and we want to be able to walk in these ways and how are we to do that and so we go to Galatians 5 and we see this beautifully um, exhibited um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians Colossians um, General Electric Power Company, I've heard it memorized like that but just somehow GPC Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and we're in Galatians chapter 5, in beginning of verse 16. And this has been a theme, um, to me lately anyway, and I think it should be a theme of our church, and all believers. It's the idea of walking in the spirit, not walking in the flesh. You know, the, your way of life, walking in the spirit, walking in the way, the straight and narrow way, the way that Christ says you should do it, the way the Bible says live like this, the things that we're told to do, and we follow that in our best days, we walk in the spirit, and our worst, we're walking in the flesh. So Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now, it's not talking about just, I need to eat and I'm hungry. That's not the flesh for Paul. Flesh means the kind of like, it's not a perfect thing, but the sinful nature. It's, it's the, you're, one is spirit and the other is all earthly. You're living like you're just a beast. It's all, you know, I mean, there's good dogs and bad dogs, but, you know, dogs is dogs. You, you're not a dog. You, you are a, a human created in the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. You, you are capable of, of great things. You're capable also of great evil. Um, but in the spirit, as believers, we walk in that, not in the, the old man it talks about even, not in like, like the non-believing, unspiritual, carnal life. So the desires of the flesh, okay, the sinful nature type thing, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, because they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, that's, that's amazing because what you're actually telling me is that sometimes I want to do things that I ought not to do. But he's talking to believers and he's saying, I know as a believer the reason that you ought to do right is because you just have a need to do it. And when you don't do it, you feel the guilt. You feel the shame. And then you go to Christ for grace and you recognize and understand and then you're able to walk forward again. But that if you follow the flesh, it's going to keep you from doing the things you want to do as a believer. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and I notice these are works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. So you're following the Spirit, and then certain things start to pop up in your life. And as you're following the Spirit, you get this fruit. Love increases. Joy increases. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I want us to look at particularly as verse 21, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, so I wanted to look up. I was like, okay, we're talking about imitate their faith. Uh, fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So how is faith and faithfulness related. They obviously are related somehow, but there's something of a difference. So what you do is, for those of you who love when we talk about Greek, but you got to go to the Greek word behind it. It's like, all right, what's that Greek word behind the word faithfulness? And it's pistis. And guess what that means? It means faith. So fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. And if you look at the King James, it says faith. It doesn't say faithfulness. And so I'm like, Ooh, all right, why'd they do that? And I think the reason the English translations sometimes did that is because they don't want us, and this is where a translator can do a little bit of work for you that maybe you don't want them doing, but uh, I think they want us not to confuse that with faith that, that is saving faith. Like, um, faith is a gift freely given lest anyone should boast. The first act of the Holy Spirit in your life is to produce faith. But if it's through the Spirit, faith it's like it's increasing in your life. So if you want more faith, if you want to be, if, if you want more faith, that's basically it. You know, I believe, help my unbelief is what the prayer was to Jesus. So, you know, we believe, we've come to Christ. We, we trust in his salvation. I, I understand I'm a sinner and I'm in need of this. Well, if you want more faith, because faith is what it takes to be able to walk more in step with the Lord, uh, to be able to follow the things that God says, to be able to have lives that are producing more fruit and that's helpful to more people, um, then you have to walk in the Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. I just think that's, that's kind of interesting. So you have leaders who have been walking in the Spirit. And you know they're walking in the Spirit because they're, they're, they're emitting this smell of the aroma of Christ. They are speaking the Bible to you. And so you have to think to ourselves, you know, who's doing that? And those are the ones we look to, to to lay hands on in a good way and make officers of the church. And those are the ones that we look to to, to help us um, to know, you know, how do we imitate their lives. So I'm going to go to two last places and just see how Paul talks to two of his um, disciples that he's training for the ministry, Timothy and Titus. So go to First um, Timothy, and that's after all the GEPC stuff, and you get to the to the T's, and they're in alphabetical order. So you go to 1 Timothy 4. And all of these books are actually in order of length, so it goes from longest to shortest. So 
1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So he's not talking about everybody's not going to heaven. He's talking about all people, Jew, Gentile, all peoples. Command and teach these things. All right, Timothy, leader, this is what you do. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. He's a young guy, so young people, as long as you're holding to the word of God, you know, stand, stand your ground, being respectful. Um, but set the, and it's not, I'm not talking about like a five-year-old. I'm talking about like, you know, you get a pastor or an elder or somebody who may be in their 30s or late 20s or whatever, and you're 70, and you're like, I'm not listening to that. I remember the first time I went to the doctor, and he was younger than me. I feel your pain. And I asked him, I said, anyway. <laughs> he looked it up on the Internet. I'm like, what are you doing? I can do this at home. He says, you can't write prescriptions. Like, oh, that's right. They got me. So, um, and I don't know what website to believe anyway. So, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. And this is an example for us, and it's for everybody really, but particularly leaders. Set an example in parents. Set an example in speech. And even if you're children at school, uh, you have other children are looking at you, and you're thinking, like, you're supposed to be a Christian, so what kind of example do you set? Speech, the way you talk, conduct, the way you live your life, love and faith and purity until I come devote and this is for these leaders devote yourself to the public reading of scripture exhortation and script and um, teaching so that's you devote yourself to that do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders um, lay their hands on you practice these things devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by doing so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers and then uh, just keep going a few pages to titus chapter 2 you bring in verse 7 it's at titus 2 7 Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And this can play... And get into the whole say man stealing was wrong, beating your slaves was wrong, keeping people. It's, this has to do with more of an indentured servitude type thing. And we can think of about it employees. Okay, this is how you ought to be acting to your to your superiors, whether they deserve it or not. Uh, be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Pilfering, pilfering. What's that mean? Stealing, yeah, pilfering. Stealing stuff. Um, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So it's like you're adorning, it's like you're, it, you're, 
you're saying one thing and you're also making it look good because it's like we can trust you. You're not a complainer. It's like you're, you're proclaiming the name of Christ. You know, it's, it's really bad to have somebody proclaiming the name of Christ at work and they go around all they do the whole time is complain and cuss and steal stuff. <laughs> it's like you're not making Jesus look very good. You know, so we think about that as how we live in our lives and um, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. So these are just things about how we're to, to go about, how we can imitate their faith. And then we see in our next verse, Jesus Christ, and this may be the most widely known verse in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Doesn't change. And this is particularly interesting to the, the Hebrew church because they came out of an Old Testament church. They came out of synagogue. It's like Genesis, Jesus Christ was there, and he's the same today. Always, and this is why we get part of the doctrine of being able to teach salvation by grace alone and faith alone all the way in Christ alone from the Old Testament till today. He hasn't changed at all. Now, he became incarnate, but the person of Jesus Christ, the way he is, the way he thinks, the things he does, he, he did not change. So if you go back a thousand years and hear somebody properly preaching the gospel, it'd be the same. If you go, if we're still, if we stick around a hundred years from now, well, let's see, how many, some of you children may live another hundred years, and you're here, and maybe one of you are a preacher, or you're listening to another preacher up here. It should be the same thing. Maybe a slightly different application, but same word of God. He's not going to change. He's still called to love your enemies, still called to repent of your sin, still called to trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, save us from our sins. The world goes on for another 10,000 years, same gospel, same thing. You ought to be able to go. When I was in Russia, I went to a Taekwondo class, and they were. I walked in there, and they were um, doing. Cl- and I was able to yell out uh, commandments. I could teach a class because they had learned Korean as part of. Because Taekwondo comes from Korea, so you learn, you know, high damaki, chan damaki, you know, high block, low block, stuff like that. And so I was able to go in there and say that stuff. And the ones that practiced <laughs> were able to to follow what I was talking about and it should be the same piano music it's a, music is an amazing thing oh, I'm talk about it, but it's just what language is that where does everybody get music I mean do they write music is like you get Chinese written music it's just, it looks the same the notes yeah and, and they hear it they hear it. you don't translate Brahms into Chinese <laughs> you know you just, it's we get it and it's the same with Jesus Christ when the person comes to Christ it's throughout time He's not changed. And he does say this as it follows up here in Hebrews, and we'll close. It's like, but don't follow false teachers. Just because somebody's a leader doesn't mean you follow them. Don't follow false teachers. And it just says here in verse 9, don't be led away by diverse and strange teaching. There's a lot of diverse and strange teaching. Okay? A lot of, a lot of um, innovation being brought into the church. Okay? Uh, some weird stuff, not just different kind of music and stuff like that. I'm talking about some, some weird stuff in some churches. Okay, so what you could be, be do is like, wait a minute, where's the Bible say do that? I don't know, there's a thing called enagrams. I don't know if you heard those or not. It's like something weird. <laughs> it's like, don't do that. You know, or some kind of, just, you can hear all kinds of strange teaching. You've got to be able to say, where are my leaders that are speaking the word of God to me? Where's the word of God? Show me where it says this. And show me where this is not something that you've just invented and come up with. I want to know Jesus Christ, same yesterday and forever. The gospel is what saves. The gospel is what makes a person whole. It's what makes a person able to follow God and enter into the kingdom of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's it. So do not follow fancy, trendy, um, 
bad theology and all these things, and we have to be able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that is the power of God unto salvation. So maybe your problem is you haven't really understood, believed, trusted in the gospel yet, throwing yourself fully and completely on the Christ, leaving the outcome of your, your life to, you know, whatever, that you need to leave the outcome of your life to Christ. Whatever you won't do with me, as you will, we need to learn to trust in his word and his grace and his sacrifice to walk in the Spirit. As in verse 9 it says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You want your heart. Yeah, it's strengthened by grace. Not by foods and these other diversity, whatever. Don't go after other things if you're, because other things will make you feel good temporarily, but at the end it's just going to say, ha ha, gotcha. And now it's worse. And now what do you need? Well, you need more of this. No, I don't. I need grace. And where do I find that? And it's only in Christ. Don't be led away by things that are not the gospel and not in the Bible. There are many today who seek to lead you and your children astray. Stick to the Bible, the gospel of Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's pray. Lord, help us to consider the outcome of our lives and make us and give us leaders worthy of remembrance, of consideration, and of imitation. We thank you for those we have. We thank you for all who have given their lives in service of you and pray that you would help us all to do that more deeply as well. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.